Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, these are the words of God. And with many other words, he, Peter, solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. J.A. Bingle, he is a um, Lutheran pietist, uh, once wrote in his commentary about Acts 2, specifically verse 42, he said, Thou hast, O church, thy form, meaning thy pattern. Church, you have your pattern. He says, It is yours to preserve it and to guard thy trust. Um, as we move into this new year, one of the things that I like to do on a regular basis is just kind of look across the, the church and find out who we are, where we are, what we're doing well, what we could do better. Um, that list is often, what we could do better is often long and it often centers around me, uh, which is really, really crazy, but that's just who I am. I, I, I like to analyze those things and try to do, do better. As a, as a pastor and as a teacher specifically. Um, but in, in surveying the, the, the state of the church, there are four principles, four ideas that I think we need to employ as a church to become the most effective that we can be. And uh, this, this great man of God, uh, again, J.A. Bingle, who, who said that this is, the, this is the pattern of the church, is the pattern that I hope that we can, um, that we can possess, that we can uh, take uh, possession of, that we can live by. Uh, there are many opinions as to how the church can be most effective. I think you know that. Opinions are like, well, moving on, right? And so, so, um, right? And so you, there's many opinions, and some of those opinions are biblical, and most are not. Most are not. We, we come up with really great ideas, really great inventions. And listen, they, they may be noble. They may be great and kind and sweet and all of those great adjectives. But uh, they're not biblical, and that's the problem. So over the next four weeks, including this, you know, and this week, five weeks, I suppose, we're going to look at uh, four biblical principles. Those biblical principles are found right there in Acts 2.42. Uh, I'll read them to you again. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're going we're gonna to look at these biblical principles, principles that I hope, as a pastor and an elder here, I hope will become the habits of our church. Okay? Um, 
And if, it, it, this is an opinion, but if, if our church possesses these ideas, I think we will be truly effective. I think we'll be truly effective in each other's lives, which is a really important piece of this. But I also think this sets the foundation for being effective in the greater world. Okay, so we're, we're looking at that. At the outset, though, I want to say a, a couple of things, uh, you know, that I think are disclaimers or worth uh, sharing with you. Number one, this is not an exhaustive list. These four ideas are, are by no means an exhaustive list. And here's, here's how we know these aren't an exhaustive list. Because inside of the list that we just read in Acts 2.42 uh, is included that first list item, which is the apostles' teaching which comes with a whole lot of other things, right? So everything that the apostles taught on, we, we learn things about baptism from the apostles' teaching. We learn things about how the church should be in unity. We learn a lot of things about how uh, communion or uh, about how uh, breaking bread should, should function. We learn about factions and divisions. We learn about church discipline. We learn about all manner of things because we actually believe that this list is not exhaustive and that that first one expands on it. So the very first thing to understand is that this is not an exhaustive list. And the second point uh, that I'd like to make is that these uh, we have to know how to distinguish between that which is prescriptive and that which is descriptive in the Bible. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of jump on a little bit of a soapbox here for a little while. In the past, I've shared with you that reading the Bible must be done with great care. We are called to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? That's you as well as me, by the way. So we are called to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to treat the word of God with great care. And uh, we get into a tremendous amount of trouble when we don't do that and we try to employ descriptive things in a prescriptive fashion. Okay, so let me kind of, let me walk you through a couple of those, uh, an example of that. Matthew 10 is what comes to mind. It's a very powerful passage in which God, uh, which Jesus, commissions his 12 apostles. And it's really important that you read it for yourself. In Matthew 10, Jesus commissions 12 apostles, not all of his disciples. How many of you know that there were many disciples surrounding Jesus, but there were 12 who were called for a particular purpose, okay? And so he commissions the 12, and he says this. He says, I want you to go out into the world, and I want you to raise the dead, cast out demons, and heal the sick. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? At least depending on your, your upbringing, okay? So if you, if you were brought up in a more Pentecostal, maybe a charismatic world, you look at that and say, woo, sounds like a lot of fun. The problem is, this is a descriptive text. It is not a prescriptive text. And here's why I want you to understand this. Because Jesus goes on and says, but just so you know, I don't want you to go to Gentiles. Right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, but don't go to Gentiles. I actually also don't want you to take any money with you, and I don't want you to take an extra set of clothes. <laughs> Keep bringing extra sets of clothes, all of you, right, okay? So it's really important. And then he goes on and he says, wherever you stay, you welcome their hospitality, and if they don't receive you with peace, you dust your feet off. It's a matter of judgment against those who don't accept you. Now, here's, here's what I find very interesting in our problematic way of interpreting the Bible. On one side, we like to interpret things in a prescriptive way. And what we do with that is we take the things we love, 
We take the things that sound cool, okay? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And then for no reason whatsoever, we pump the brakes on only go to Jews. As if Jesus didn't instruct that too. He did. He clearly said it. Same passage, okay? So he's told us what to do, but what we, what we get into is we get into a little bit of this arbitrary game, picking and choosing. How many of you know that we do this? How many of you know that all, all, all of us do this, okay? So we, we've got to be careful with it, okay? So, so Matthew 10 comes to mind when we talk about something that is, that is descriptive versus prescriptive. Now, some of you are like, man, I'm not okay with what Nathan is saying here. Uh, Matthew 28, this is the Great Commission. What did Jesus tell us to do? He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I command you. And then he gives this really beautiful line. He says, and lo, or King James, and lo, (laughs) I am with you all to the end of the age. All these days. That is a prescriptive text. Nathan, come on. Aren't you just picking and choosing? Didn't Jesus just say that to somebody else? Didn't he say that to a group of people? Well, first of all, make sure you understand, it was descriptive. It did happen. He gave his great commission to those people. But it's also prescriptive. And here's why I know it. Because all of church history confesses to the fact that people viewed it that way and moved on with it. We see Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 10, Acts 11, enter the Apostle Paul on the scene, Acts 13, 14, and 17. And all of these church people, all of these uh, saints in the beginning believed they needed to adopt the Great Commission. They needed to go out into all the world. 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. This is a bunch of people who are not apostles, nor are they uh, first disciples of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, what have we been given? We have been given the message of reconciliation. What is the message that we deliver? What is this message? It's the gospel, and it reconciles the world. Go into all the world and make disciples. We're supposed to go and preach this gospel to change that. That's an instruction given to the Corinthians. So it becomes prescriptive, doesn't it? Then we move on to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16 says what? It says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And then Romans 10 says something really important. It says you are to, uh, you're to go out and to preach, because how can they hear unless they have a preacher? And blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. So all of a sudden, we've used rightly dividing the word of truth, we've used wisdom, we've used logic, we've used reasoning, and we've looked at the text of Scripture and we've said, ah, this, although descriptive, is also prescriptive. But this is descriptive, and we need to be careful trying to impose it elsewhere. Now, I want to make sure that you hear me clearly because being a student of the Scripture is really important to me. And there have been areas where I've held to things and I've realized, ah, you didn't have the full picture. Some would argue that Matthew 10 is, in fact, a prescriptive text. And what basis would they use this as a prescriptive text? They're not just winging it, okay? They're not just uh, picking always arbitrarily. Some would view uh, uh, Mark chapter 16, this is the sister text to the Great Commission, 
which applies to us as well. They would, they would take Mark 16 and they would say, because these signs, because these things will be evident among God's people, Matthew 10 is now prescriptive. And we should go out into all the world and heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Am I making sense to you this morning? You guys connecting those dots. Some of you are like, absolutely not. You're not making sense to me. It's okay. Here's what I want you to do. The wrestle between a descriptive and a prescriptive text is a genuine, it is a real wrestle. So you need to You need to read the words on the page, and you need to wrestle with it. If, in fact, Matthew 10 is a prescriptive text, our basis would be on Mark chapter 16, and it would be, this is how it's prescriptive, and only how it's prescriptive, that the Bible says that these signs will accompany those who believe. But Mark 16 does not say go and do it. Mark 16 simply says these signs will accompany my covenant people. Okay. How many of you know we believe in a miracle working God? He does great things. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Most of the arguments, most of the fights are over how we play into it. Right? And guess what we're doing? We're being the narcissistic people that we were created to be in sin, (laughs) right? And we are making everything yet again about us. Where do I fit in? What is my part? What's my gift in all of this? Those are okay questions. We just can't take them to the point where we ignore the fact that God is the power behind everything we do. Okay, so descriptive versus prescriptive is a very important thing. And this morning, what we're going to see is that these principles in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 are descriptive as well as prescriptive. And the reason why is because we're going to see them throughout the New Testament and we're going to even see them in church history. We see that people believed these uh, ideas to be prescriptive. So again, back to Acts chapter 2. Back to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to turn, or I want you to uh, read again with me verse 42. They, who is they here? Everyone who was added to the church, right? And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Sounds cool to me. I want an evangelistic meeting like that, don't you? (laughs) Right? 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And listen to what happens next. They, people, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be looking at each one of those in Uh, you know, specifically, and we're going to unpack it, and we're going to see all of these great details. I told Sarah the other day, that uh, yesterday, that the one struggle that I had with the message today was that I didn't feel like I had a landing pad. I didn't feel like I had a place where I could just stop and say, here's the great principle, ta-da, you know, um, I care a lot about that in my preaching. How do I start and how do I end? Those are the, those are important matters to me. And with a message like this, it's really hard because what you're casting is a broader vision that says, here's some principles we need to employ in our life. We need to get good at. Um, Have a great day. Please come back next week and find out more. (laughs) Sounds like a really bad sales pitch. But the, the point is, is that I don't necessarily know how I'm going to land all of this today. But I want to give you a brief overview of where we're going with this. The first thing that you have to see in verse 42 is that word continually. We all know what it means, don't we? 
to consistently, to continually, to repeatedly do a thing. But it's that word devoting that is, I think, fascinating. The word devoted, the word devoting to, is pronounced proskartero. Proskartero, what a fancy uh, Greek word, right? Proskartero, and here's what it means, and this is really intriguing. If you're a note taker, please write it down. They were continually to stick by, to be close at hand to, to attach oneself to, to wait on, to be faithful to, or to stand ready. What a powerful word, okay? To stand ready, that's the one that I want us to, to keep in our minds because it most, most uh, applies to this text here, okay? So here's what they did. They were continually, they were constantly standing ready on what matters. The apostles' teaching. Where do we find the apostles' teaching, church? I'm waiting. The Bible, the Word of God. We find the apostles' teaching in the Word of God. They were committed to it. That is, they had apostles with them. They had these people that were teaching them and walking with them. We have amazing things that are written to us in the church today. And we need to be, uh, we need to be listening to the Word of God. So guess what we're all about? We're about a people. We're about the Word of God. We're a people of the Word of God. Committed to the apostles' teaching. So what was that word again, devoted? It meant to uh, stand what? Stand ready with the apostles' teaching. I I harp on this all the time that I want you to read your Bible more. But listen, I want you to read your Bible more for a very important reason. I I want you to read your Bible more because if you will give your devotion to God's word and what he calls you to do, Do you know what naturally follows when you study and you give yourself to a thing repeatedly? What follows is a habit. What follows is character. What follows is virtue. Listen, the reason why I want you to study God's word is not so that you can be better at a Bible memory game uh, against your family. The reason why I want you to study God's word is not so that you can quote scriptures when your friends are being weird on Facebook. I'll take care of that. Don't worry. Anyway, no. The the reason, that's bad. The reason why I want you to study God's word is because the principles that are in there are the principles that are training you to look more like Jesus every day of your life. And guess what? God is gentle in our training. He's gentle in our training. We miss it a lot, don't we, church? I don't think half of you know what I mean. You're in denial. (laughs) We miss it a lot, don't we, church? Yes, we miss it a lot. But God is faithful. God is just. God is gentle with us, and he's training us constantly. So dedication to the apostles' teaching is a very, very important matter. To fellowship. Do you notice that dedication, that, that, that uh, idea of constant uh, standing in or standing with is, is also attributed to fellowship? You know what the problem in the church today is? We come to church when we want to. We come to church when there's things that aren't in our way. Come on. I know I'm irritating some of you. I can see it. I can see it when your eyebrows do funny things. So I'm just, I'm letting you know that, you know. I won't point that out. Dave McCarthy. Anyway, so I, it's, it's this devotion to fellowship. And here's, here's the problem. Here's the root of the problem. Somewhere along the line in Christian history, we fell for a lie that says all we need is the Holy Spirit in our Bible. 
Listen to me, church. All I need is my Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit in my Bible. That's all I need. I don't need you as a preacher. You know what the Bible you claim to follow says? It says that you're wrong. <laughs> it's fascinating. The Bible says, who, uh, how can the ear say to the eye, I have no need of you? How can the hand say to the foot, pick apart, right? How can this one say to that one, I have no need of you? And do you know what you're saying when you say, all I need is the Holy Spirit in my Bible? You're saying precisely, I don't need the very things that God has given me. I don't need the rest of the body. You are wrong. You are wrong. Hiding yourself in a corner somewhere is never going to grow you. Now, guess what? Coming and being around people like Dave McCarthy is going to try you, okay? Because when I ask you to say Merry Christmas, he just repeatedly says Happy Holidays to me for weeks on end, okay? The idea here is that we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with this because people rub us the wrong way. Can I get an amen? But we need fellowship because those people are, they're breaking us, they're transforming us, they're changing us, they're sharpening us. Maybe they're dulling us in some points when we're too sharp. We need each other. It was G.K. Chesterton that, that said that uh, the greatest command of loving your neighbor was given because the neighbor is the very person that you cannot choose right? The neighbor is the one that is just right there next door. They're given to you. And guess what you have to do? You have to learn to love them. You have to learn to talk to them. You should talk to them. <laughs> anyway, you, you, you can't choose them. And so your neighbor is testing and trying to you, right? Because they're the people that blast their music way too loud at four in the morning. It's not very, very Jesus-like. Yeah, they don't know Jesus yet until you open your mouth. It's amazing, right? So fellowship, though, is a really important thing because we actually need each other even that much more in the body of Christ. We need each other. This is really important. The next one to, is breaking bread. And we're going we're gonna to go in brief detail here in just a second. But breaking of bread, uh, many of you don't know this, but the term breaking of bread being a title for communion didn't appear until the second century. Didn't appear until the second century. There was an understood Jewish tradition of breaking bread before a meal, before something like this. It was, there's a symbolic idea that goes on behind here. Makes sense for Jesus to do that because he was a Jew, right? And so he breaks bread, and, and this follows suit. Now, we call it breaking bread all the time. But in Acts chapter 2, we even see that it expands beyond that. Look at verse 46 and 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. All of that is connected in some strange sense in that verse, right? So they broke bread together and they took their meals uh, with gladness. We see this again in Corinthians where, where there, is a, there is something that you do in your own home. There is something that you can take care of at home. But there is a fellowship that needs to be understood in the church, right? And so we need to look at what that looks like because we're, after all, supposed to be continually devoted to it. What does that mean? We're continually standing ready for breaking bread with each other. Sometimes it's like, uh, it's like pulling teeth to get people to come over and just to share life with you. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people to stay for the potluck. Okay, anyway, sorry. That was... 
he is really mean today. I don't know about all this. Anyway, so I, I'm just letting you know. Sometimes it's like, pull, stop it. Anyway, I don't want any more amens on that stuff. Anyway, so, but it's, sometimes it's like pulling teeth. Why? Here's what it is. It, it's not because I think you guys, you know, some of you uh, are just antisocial. Okay? It's some of you. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, it's because I don't think that this has been taught well in the church. I don't think we were taught that we needed to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. I don't think we were taught that we needed to devote ourselves to fellowship. I don't think we were taught that we needed to devote ourselves to breaking bread or to prayer. I don't think we were taught that. I think we're a product of the 21st century, and what we were taught is come, get your church on, and then go home and hope it lasts through the rest of the week. Right? I remember a friend of mine years ago, she posted on Facebook, she said, she's time to go to church to get my Jesus on. Okay, that's fine. Get your Jesus on, <laughs> right? Get your Jesus on. I don't really know what that means, but it's okay. Get your Jesus on. But take your Jesus with you and be Jesus every day of your life. But we, we've got to do more than that. But, but we have believed in a church model that's just garbage. Again, what did I say at the outset? Some of these principles are biblical. Many of them are not. Many of them are not. And so what are we doing? I don't know. We're playing games. We're playing games with what this looks like. Last but not least is that phrase, and to prayers. Okay? And to prayers. The King James actually translates it correctly. Uh, out of all the translations, the King James and the ESV are the only ones who get it right. Where the, ES, where the King James misses the ESV's translation is that in the Greek, there is a definite article before prayer. And that is the word the. Okay, And so it actually reads this way. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the definite article. And prayer is plural. Prayers which means that the prayers were identified. They were understood in the first century church. And when we get to the week on prayer, which will be the final week, we're going to talk about some of the prayers that they already knew as Christians. Think about it. You're teaching people what Jesus taught. Did Jesus not teach us how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Did you know that that has been a liturgical thing in the church for many, 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 many years? Guess what we've done in the modern church? We get our Jesus on and forget everything Jesus told us. Wow, crazy, isn't it? We, we do it, and we go, oh, I don't like liturgy. I don't like this harsh structure. How many of you have said that or believe that? I don't like that structure. I don't like that, all that stuff. No, you guys are too shy to answer my daggone question, honestly. But here's, here's the deal. Here's what I found. Some of the most non-traditional churches, by the way, here's the first statement, all churches are liturgical. Second, the most non-traditional churches are the most legalistic in their liturgy. You know what litur liturgy is? It's order to your service. We have an order to our service. It's the same thing over and over and over. Why? Why? Because Nathan's a jerk. No, it's because, because it, it is. It's either, it's either habit or as a leadership team, we've looked at it and said we enjoy this structure. We think this works. Okay? Some of it is biblical. Some of it, not so much. So these are the struggles that we, we have to wrestle through as, as Christians, as churches. But liturgy is not a problem, and prayer was liturgical to them. They had the Psalter, they prayed through the Lord's Prayer. There were many other things that they prayed. 
including psalms or hymns that we saw in Philippians and in Colossians and in different places in the New Testament. These were repeated things in the first century church. So over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack what this means to, uh, to understand apostles' teaching, to be devoted to it, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to breaking bread, to be devoted to prayer. But I told you that I, told you that I wanted to share with you some, um, some uh, church traditions that held to these ideas. Here's one that I think is, is worth considering. John Chrysostom, he's a fourth century church father. John Chrysostom, uh, speaking on apostolic fellowship, breaking bread, uh, prayer, and the apostles' teaching, he said this, the fellowship was, quote, the fellowship was not only in prayers, nor in doctrine alone, but also in social relations. He expanded on the fact that the church actually believed these principles to be so true and so real that they actually shared life with each other. They helped each other with fixing things or, or doing whatever they needed to do. How many of you know that that's the church that God wants? That's the church that God wants. We don't have to go back to the first century church. We don't have to wear tunics. We don't have to act like that. But we ought to look at their principles and not throw them out just because they seem strange to us. We need to adopt them in our context. We need to understand what this look, looks like. So the church fathers continue, and I'll have more evidence for you as we go throughout these next week, and, and Barney's going to be jumping in on this too. But what I want to encourage you to is these four principles. I want to encourage you to it because here's what I believe. I believe that if we will really put these four principles into practice, if we will really uh, devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of God, if we will truly devote ourselves to breaking bread, to fellowship, and to the prayers, whatever that means in its fullness, uh, if we will dedicate ourselves to this, we will become the church that God wants us to be. We will do it better, and we will do it better, and we will do it better. And here's another important thing, that if we will put this into practice and focus on this for the entire year, if we will give our hearts to employing these things so much that they become habits in the church, in the years to come, they will be second nature. They will just flow from us. We will know that our fellowship is absolutely non-negotiable. We will know that we, we don't have to uh, poke and prod people into reading the word of God. We will know that we will be a house of prayer. We will be a people who dedicate ourselves to those ideas, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to filter everything this year through those four principles. We're going to ask the question, this isn't, this isn't forever, this is they become habit and then they go naturally. But we're going to filter everything through these four principles. Anything that we set out to do, anything that you decide you want to do within our church, volunteering or helping or, or starting a ministry or something like that, uh, we, want you to, we want you to give the idea. And then what we're going to do is we're going to say, does this serve in a dedication to the apostles' teaching? Code word for that. Is the biblical truth center to what you want to do? Because if it's not, we'll wait, Okay. Second thing, are we dedicated to fellowship through this ministry? Are we dedicated to building closer bonds, closer unity, in, or better unity in the church? If the answer is yes, we're going to move forward. If the answer is no, we may get to it someday, but we don't have time right now. 
We've got to stay focused. We've got to stay focused. If you want to do something and we look at it and say, how is this dedicated to meals shared together and breaking of bread and communion and all of these things that are included in all of this, how does this work together as a church, including fellowship, breaking bread, fellowship in a social setting? How does it play in there? And if you say, this, it works this way, we're going we're gonna to be excited about it. If not, we have to stay focused, and we have to stay laser-focused, because if you don't stay focused, you get off track quick. At least I do, okay? And then the last thing is dedication to the prayers and prayer. It's no doubt the church prayed. It's no doubt that they were a house of prayer as Jesus intended them to be. But we need to understand that more. And if your ministry or the thing that you want to do has in it a dedication to prayer, steeped in prayer, it's something that you really think can grow the church in its prayer life, then we're rocking. We're moving forward with it. We're going to get excited about it alongside you. But we have to stay focused. So here's, here's my landing pad just off the top of my head. We're trying to train our daughters, and we're trying to do it well. And there are days when we feel like, wow, there's some really good fruit. And then there's days where we're like, okay, slow down, start again, Right? Um, my daughters are not, I, I give Joe a bad rap, okay? I give Joe a bad rap because she, her volume level is at 11 all the time, and her energy level is at 11 all the time. But she's a very compliant, very helpful, very caring little girl. She always wants to be in the kitchen with mama or out in the yard with me picking up sticks or something. She's always wanting to do this, right? So the, I've got girls that are really, they're really eager. They're, they're great kids. But in training them, um, it takes, it's a slow and steady process. How many of you know that? It's a slow and steady process. We subscribe to a lot of stuff that we've, we've learned from uh, a lady who's long gone named Charlotte Mason who talked about habits and building habits and how you got to take like six weeks to really instill a good habit in your child. And Sarah asked me an important question yesterday when we were talking through uh, today. And she said, when you have people for only one hour, on a Sunday morning, how long does that take to establish as a habit? Is it six weeks or is it six years? <laughs> and the answer, the answer actually, church, is this. The answer is, it depends on you. It depends on you. The church is, a, the church is intended to be something that accents what's already going on in your life. And that is, we come together and celebrate in our shared faith. We rejoice and worship our creator God. But every one of us leaves from here and we go about our days and our weeks and our months and our years. And large, a large amount of that, hopefully we'll remedy this, but a large amount of that time is spent not with your fellow church members. It's just been out there. But if you're dedicated to these principles, if you're dedicated to the apostles' teaching and opening your Bible every day, if you're dedicated to sharing time with your fellow Christians, if you're dedicated to breaking bread with one another, if you're dedicated to prayer, then guess what? These habits can happen just as fast as they happen with our girls. Guess what's also going to happen as we try to instill these habits? We're going to hit roadblocks. We're going to hit speed bumps or whatever you want to say. Right? We're going to hit that stuff. And what we have to promise each other is that we'll be patient and gracious with each other and say, nope, we're not quite there yet. Let's take a step back. Let's think about this again. Are we really landing and getting this fellowship piece? Right? This is what we have to do. It's going to take time. 
church. But I am, I'm asking you uh, to jump on board. I'm not calling you my children at all. I'm asking you to jump on board like my children in this, and that is let's dedicate ourselves to these four principles this year. Let's give our heart to them. Because if we do, if we do, it's going to change absolutely everything. We will be a church that, that people notice because there's a family here. There's a truth here. There's a prayerful people here. There's a people who care deeply what the Word of God actually says. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.